So this morning, the, the title of my message is Fear God and Do Not Fear. <laughs> fear God and Do Not Fear. You know, it sounds like a, a, an oxymoron, but it, it, after a while it kind of makes sense. Fear God and do not fear. Because if we have a reverential awe and an understanding of who God is, and we live our life in fear of God, then we need not fear anything else. Well, I thought of, again, this being the 4th of July and uh, weekend, and I, I looked up Thomas Jefferson, his uh, 1776 um, writing, and it says, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed with, by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This has been called the Immortal Declaration, and perhaps the single, most, the single phrase that has um, spoken most of the American Revolution that is remembered. But you remember, why did we, just a little history, <laughs> what was the reason that the colonists uh, decided to revolt against, uh, against Britain? And we know that it was taxes. <laughs> but one of the other things is that it was, if you, you think about it, in the early 1900s, Britain owned or occupied 23% of the world and 24% of the Earth's total land mass was under British rule. Now, you have these, these guys, it wasn't that much of a um, land ownership or ruling whenever they wrote the, and they broke away in 1776, but if they hadn't wrote their declaration at that time and waited a few more years, we would have found that it would have been almost impossible to break away from the, from the British Empire. So if you can imagine then these individuals having to face their fear because they are writing a document stating that they want freedom. And they want freedom from, at that time, one of the largest empires of the world. And so here you are, a fledgling, a fledgling community of, <laughs> I don't know want to call them, a group of states that were um, just barely getting themselves together and having some form of government, and they didn't have a leader. They didn't have all the things that you would think, no standing army, and they're writing a, <laughs> a declaration of independence from their motherland, from the British. And also, the... The, the, the British were, call, were, the British were uh, imposing these taxes because of the French and Indian War in which they had, defe they had defeated them, uh, defeated the French and the Indians so that this could still be a British colony. So they thought, what the heck, we've saved them, now they should pay for it. <laughs> and, of course, like good Americans, they revolted. <laughs> you know, you don't like it, revolt. So anyhow... Uh, we find that, well, why do we fear God? You know, why do we fear God? It gives a healthy understanding or healthy respect for the things that are bigger and stronger than we are. In this case, we find that God is um, not an empire. He is himself the God, the creator of the universe, and that he has spoken all things into existence. And so for our understanding, there is a healthy fear of God. Solomon writes that if you want to be wise, you have to fear the Lord, and if you want to fear the Lord in the way that he intends, you have to know him. 
You see, often we would say, if you're going to fear someone, you fear what they can do. But in this case, if you fear the Lord, it's because you know him. You know who God is and you know his character. And that the character of God is such that he wants only and seeks only the best for us. And so the challenges come in our life as to how we see the hand of God working in our lives to bring us into a position where we know him and fear him. You So how does cultivating a healthy fear of God liberate us from our fear of others? Well, the Bible tells us if we fear God, you know, fear that which would destroy the soul, not that which would destroy the body. So there is an understanding that our person inside, the, the person who makes up you and I as individuals, that this, that inside part of us is going to live forever. This outside part, <laughs> that you, you pinch somebody. No, don't. <laughs> if, if, you know, the, that, body, that body's going to disappear. It's going to go away. It's going to die. But that which is in, inside of us, our, our life, our spirit, it's eternal. And that eternal life is what God is building and working on. And he's, you know, since creation, he's been planning on us being here. Since creation, he's been planning on you being here. And he knows what's going on in your heart and life. And he wants to develop, change, forgive, you know, uh, work in us. If you want a real challenge, look at the, the life of Saul of Tarsus, Paul the Apostle. You know, Saul was a brilliant man. He had um, a great commission, as it were, from the Sanhedrin and from the religious rulers in Jerusalem that they were to round up these rebels, these Christians, and bring them back and, and punish them for their belief in Jesus. Well, we know what happened to Saul of Tarsus. He ran into the resurrected Jesus. <laughs> he ran into the resurrected Jesus, and Jesus spoke to him and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And it's like, whoa, it is you. <laughs> you know? He is alive. You know, we often, sometimes we, we, we take that eternal life thing for granted. It's like, well, I'm not dying. Why do I need to worry about it? Well, we are living and preparing ourselves for eternity. And so God is working on us and building us so that we can do something, that we can live our life that will make a difference for eternity. Only what is done for Christ will last. All the rest of this stuff kind of goes away. You know, uh, when I was telling that story about uh, Saul of Tarsus, it reminded me of a, a hospice patient that I, that I w was with. And this was in the latter years that I was working with the hospice program. And the lady was um, terminally ill. She was, at, the, at, the, at this point, she was lying on her bed and she was dying. Her husband was on one side and I was on the other. And with her background, I said, you know, we need to ask Christ for forgiveness. And she, you know, she mumbled, you know, agreement. And I said, just repeat, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. And she mumbled those words. And then after a long pause, then she goes, oh, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. And when I think of Paul's experience on the road to Damascus, I think of that lady and I think of others that have that experience of encountering Christ. Now, 
She didn't get out of bed. She didn't get well. But she had a forgiveness in her soul that she could go from this life to the next. And in our life, we are cultivating an understanding of God. We are cultivating an understanding of his character. He is, he is our savior. He is our, he, he is our companion. He is our friend. But, you know, if we refuse him, he, becomes our, he is our judge. So why? Why do we, um, if we were looking at what is the number one fear, okay? What is the number one fear? If you were to write down your ten, ten top fears you have in your life, you don't have to tell me what they are, but you can think of them. What, what do you fear most And one, two, three, things like that? Well, God should be number one. Why? I mean, wait a minute. We should, why should we fear God? Well, he's holy and we're not. <laughs> Simple as that. He's holy, we're not. And so we, we look at that and that's the problem. And when that problem is solved, when that problem is solved, we have a secure place from which to address all the other anxieties and fears of our life. We don't, you, you don't look at, well, you look holy today. <laughs> you know, you, know well, you really look holy today. I can see your, rain, your rainbow, no, your uh, halo, that's it. <laughs> I had to paint, you know, I had to paint the picture so I could remember what it was. So I can see your halo today, you're really holy and somebody else will say, you must have left your holy rainbow, rainbow. You must have left your holy halo at home because you sure aren't holy today. Well, we find that we solve the problem by having a secure place in our understanding of what God's purpose is for our life. Deuteronomy says, and now Israel... What does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. <laughs> to the Lord your God belong the heavens and even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. God is a God of the heavens and he decrees that he is giving to us. So we are to walk in fear that the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and Jesus said with all your mind. So in this compassionate revelation that God has given us, we come to an understanding that he loves us. Well, if you were taking a survey of kids years ago, what, was, what would have been their top fear? Their top fear, in the, you know, years ago, and it, David Michael, I still remember him having this fear, you know, waking up and he's frightened, comes running over, you know, pick him up, go over, and he's, he's afraid there's something under the bed. So what do you do? You turn the lights on, you look under the bed. You don't say, yeah, the boogeyman's under the bed, go to sleep. <laughs> no, you don't do that. You turn the lights on, look at what you're afraid of, and deal with it. Well, today, there's the fear of abuse, divorce, drug abuse, being alone, being des and deserted. The climate has changed. And it continues to change. 
If you don't think, if you don't think things have changed, go fill up your gas tank. <laughs> so, on our vacation, um, our, our grandchildren are 14 and 16. Uh, the question I felt was, how do we, you know, how do we interfere or interrupt when they're being glued to those, I'll leave out the word stupid, iPhones. <laughs> how do we interrupt whenever they're glued to the iPhones? So the kids with their digital communities, and I, and I you know, I, I, I began to learn some things. They have a digital community. And those digital communities seem more real than the one-on-one -on -one relationship with someone. You know, it's hard enough for me to talk to one person at a time. And I said, well, how many are you talking to? He says, 35. There's 35 people in this one, one, one conversation going on. And I said, how do you keep it straight? You know, and, you know, and so they're always answering and talking back and forth, as it were, over their, their text and, and going back and forth. And so these, this community that they live in or they have, that's seemingly more real than the interaction between family, friends, that is one-on-one. -on -one. So, as I was looking to gain some one-on-one -on -one time, I, I said, well, where's, one of the, where's this friend that you're talking to now? Where's he from? Well, he's north of Kansas City. That's 7,500 miles away. And, and it's like he's my neighbor <laughs> in the community. And so whenever we see these things... <laughs> The group holds the attraction that overrides the one. The group holds an attraction that overrides the one-on-one. -on -one. Well, the group becomes their neighbor, their friend, and even the ones who don't actually live in the neighborhood, <laughs> they, they are considered their close friends. Well, how often do you see him? Physically see him. Oh, maybe a couple times a year. <laughs> but he's that close friend. And if we know the uh, dynamics of group, <laughs> we find that the group decides the one's security, one's happiness, one's attitude. The group lets you know what's going on. It used to be, used to, the, the, the statistic was, you were the average of your five closest friends. Well, now with this <laughs> group dynamics, we become the average of what we, we surround ourselves with. So this is not only true for teens, but it's true for adults. What group do you listen to? Who is your circle of friends? Do we fear being cut out of the group? The importance of realizing is who is directing our life? And what direction is it going? Who determines how we look at things. <laughs> we could go on uh, the, well, I won't pick on television, but, you know, the networks. We, we tune in to certain networks, and, you know, our fears, our fears come legitimately because there are 24-7 news networks that, that like to stroke our fears. And you see, fear is 
not a good thing, unless it's the natural fear, which is if there's a tractor trailer coming towards you, a natural fear is get out of the way. Amen. Yes, okay. Wanted to make sure we got that. You know, in case you leave today and get hit by a tractor trailer, don't blame me. Pastor said we didn't need to do that. No, I didn't. I think sometimes it's like that squirrel in the advertisement. They're running back and forth across the road, and the guy runs off the road into a tree, and the squirrel goes, <laughs> Got him. Well, you see, it's not only for teens, but it's for ourselves. People are divided into groups, us and them. <laughs> how is our faith being able, be, how is our faith able to communicate when we have divided ourselves to us and them. Jesus didn't separate Pharisees, Sadducees, you know, the poor of, the, of, 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 of outside of Jerusalem, the poor inside Jerusalem. No, all who were in need, he came, and he, and he touched those who were in need, who were sick and who were needy. So well, often what our problem is, them are the people who are threats. In us, <laughs> we're the ones who agree. But in our life, God has called us to us and them. That our life is part of what we share with other people. Paul wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy 1.7, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of a power and of love and of a sound mind. Power, love, sound mind. You see, God is the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah said that I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among the people of unclean lips, for I have seen the Holy One of Israel. You see, whenever we have a glimpse of God for who He is, as Isaiah, He is the Holy God. <laughs> he is a loving God, and He is a caring God. But if we refuse to <laughs> walk with Him, we refuse to be aware of his character, we find that there is a great need for us to be afraid. God is our risen Savior. He is our magnificent and holy one, which means that he is not like anything or anyone we have known. There is no one on this planet that resembles Jesus, resembles God. We're all working towards that goal, but we don't know what God looks like. We know what good, maybe what good people look like. You know, we look at Billy Graham and his ministry and his work, and he was an exemplary one. You know, I, I thought it was a, a funny thing that um, somebody asked Billy Graham. He was in Europe. This was years ago. He was in Europe, and they said, you know, a European reporter asked him, how can you justify coming all this way and spending all that money on an ocean liner, because they weren't flying at that time, I guess, on an ocean liner getting here to Europe? How can you justify that? And, and Billy Graham says, well, if you can find a mule that will walk on water, I'll take it. <laughs> so uh, I like that one. So we fear God because he is holy and we're not. We fear him because he is righteous and we're not. To know and apply this holiness and righteousness is called wisdom. Wisdom is the application of truth. 
and how that application of understanding what the scriptures are speaking to us. Psalm Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And this fear of God is a reverential awe. Like, we're not afraid as I stick up your hands and I'm going to rob you, that this is a reverential awe, that we are in his presence. We are in his presence every moment of every day. We are with him. He walks with us. He becomes our personal friend, our savior. He says, the scripture talks about how that the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord, that, the, that God walks before us. So God is walking with us through these difficulties. And you see, starting every day in a position of adoration of God. Adoring God. How can we adore someone we don't even know? So we adore God by understanding his word. We are in God's hands. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God. So we are in this place of security and peace. <laughs> but sometimes we turn this place of security and peace into a place of turmoil and fear. Only through Christ can our fear of God as judge be turned to an admiration of awe of his goodness and grace, gentleness and mercy. <laughs> if people don't understand God, that they feel there is no God, they've lost touch with reality, the spiritual reality of life. Psalm 130, verse 4. The psalmist says, But, you, but with you there is forgiveness. Therefore, God, you are feared. It seems like that, that doesn't go together. It talks about, with you, God, there is forgiveness. Therefore, God, you are feared. That, that my, reverence, my, rever my reverence for you is an understanding of my forgiveness. Because God thinks of me that much that he will forgive me of all my sins. He will, he will give me the ability to start over again from where we are at. You know, whenever we are forgiven that the, the slate is clean, there are, there are no, you know, magic boards, magic erasers, that in our sin, the blood of Jesus Christ washes us from sin, cleanses us inside and out. We can follow him, worship him, bring our fears and anxieties to him because he has forgiven us. You know, sometimes people have phobias. And phobias are irrational obsessions. You know, some people are afraid of flying. Some people are afraid of um, tunnels. Some people are, you know, afraid of walking under ladders, you know. Why? Well, the, you know, they just know that something bad is going to happen to them. And that phobia keeps them, restricts their life. God is not a phobia. The word that brings us to God, the suffix that brings the opposite of phobia is philae, which means Philadelphia. Philae, brotherly love, which means love. The opposite of anxiety and fear is love. Because love then squelches, suppresses, pushes out of place all fear. 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, 
but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Fear has torment. Love has perfection. The First um, Corinthians, First John four eighteen, in another version says, "We ourselves are eyewitnesses, able and willing to testify to the fact, the Father did send the Son to save the world. Everyone who acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God lives in Him, and He lives in God. So we have come to know and trust the love God has for us. God is love." And the man whose life is lived in love does, in fact, live in God. And God does, in fact, live in him. So our love for him grows more and more, filling us with complete confidence for the day when he shall judge all men. For we realize that our life in this world is actually his life lived in us. Having an understanding of God means I don't own this place. God does. I have given it to him. He is the one who is guiding my steps. He has placed me here for a purpose. And the purpose is to live in him and to accomplish his will and his, his purpose for my life, which means I have a purpose for God. Greater than anything I can imagine. Love contains no fear. Indeed, fully developed love expels every particle of fear. Every particle of fear. For fear always contains some of the torture of feeling guilt. This means that the man who lives in fear has not yet had his love perfected. <laughs> you see, when we are forgiven, our name is written in God's book of life. Now, there is a natural fear, which is said about a semi-truck. You don't, <laughs> you don't stand when a semi-truck's coming. You have enough sense to move. That's, that's a good fear. But see, we're, 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 um, whenever we are afraid in our daily lives and we listen to the 24-7 news networks that stroke our fears, um, Fear will not allow us to think. Fear will not allow us to deliberate. Fear will not allow us to have a conversation. Fear is just fight or flight. And the, and the love of God brings a calmness to our spirit. That it isn't fight or flight, that I am, I am allowing God to bring peace to my heart and mind. Psalm 36, 1 a revelation within my heart about the transgressions of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. The transgressions of the wicked, there is no fear of God before their eyes. <laughs> so why do you think people shouldn't be afraid of God? <laughs> because that's where all our problems lie. If there were a God, there would be accountability. <laughs> but if there is no God, there's no accountability. So I can do as I please. I can, I can hurt or tramp on 
you know, going up the ladder of success. doesn't matter who I tramp on. There's no accountability. But God says there is. The one, one thing I, I, in Daniel, whenever, whenever Nebuchadnezzar, you know, first chapter four is where it's at, but I don't have it in there. Um, chapter four, Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel, you know, he sees this vision of the tree ch- cut down and, and a band put around the tree. And Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, that's you. You, you know, you're going to be cut down, but don't worry. God's going to bring you back because you've got, you're too, you're too prideful, basically what he's saying. So Nebuchadnezzar, about nine months later, he's standing up on his, um, the rooftop of his palace, and he says, Is not this the great Babylon that I have built by my power and for my glory? I'm good. (laughs) And he goes insane. (laughs) He goes insane. And for a period of time, he's in the pasture eating grass with the animals. And, you know, and, and during that time, Nebuchadnezzar is humbled, humiliated by God. The king realizes the hard way that God is sovereign, not just in general, but in particular over him. Nebuchadnezzar, it says, I raised my eyes to heaven and my sanity was restored. How long does it take us to look to God? (laughs) How long does it take for us to see that God is on our side and that God is working for us and with us? You know, we have all these important things about about who we are, about faith and fear and fearing God and letting all other fears go. The Bible gives us a story in which the stories of daily life can be interpreted properly. The Bible gives us stories upon which we can insert our life and interpret life properly. Not the reverse. My life interprets the Bible. No, the Bible interprets my life. And Jesus is on the right side of history. The world needs to hear the good news. The world needs to know that there is someone praying for them. It's not us and them. It's all of us. Praying for one another. Knowing that God is working in each of our lives. We each have a position and a place. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. (laughs) We're not just hearing a story. We're not just hearing a story or a sermon. We are being reset. The reset button is pushed. (laughs) It's reset in our character. We are changed. And that by the Holy Spirit and by the stories, the endless stories that Jesus has told us, that if we look to him, he is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the one who hits the reset button. And we are changed from this day forward and forevermore. He will write our name in his book of life. And we shall be his child in this life and forever. Because he loves us. We fear God. And all other fears go away. Because in our fear for God, we know him. In Jesus' name. The most powerful name in the universe. Every demon, Satan himself, 
flees at the name of Jesus Christ. So we pray in the name of Jesus over every difficulty. As you speak your name, speak your problems to Christ. In Jesus' name, Lord, I pray for healing and restoration, that fear would be gone, that peace would come, that our understanding of you and your love for us is in Jesus' name that we have eternal life, we are forgiven. And because you've come to be with us, you will never leave us nor forsake us. In Jesus' name, I speak healing, I speak peace, I speak restoration, I speak, O oh God, your divine program and will to be accomplished in our lives. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen? So in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.